Behavior change is delicate, it's tricky, and I think that it takes a lot of thought and effort to really move the needle. This is the Wellbeing Experts Podcast, and you just heard from Abby Griffin, Director of Product Development at OnLife Health. We had the chance to sit down to discuss all things wellness incentives, including topics like how to define the difference between participation and engagement. With incentives, a lot of times it's participation-based, it could be outcomes-based, all different things that go into it. So making sure people know what's available to them and what they could be earning and why it's valuable, it's sometimes hard to convey that message. For more content like this, go to onlifehealth.com resources. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, my name is Abby Griffin. I'm Director of Product Development at OnLife Health. Um, I've been at OnLife for about uh, 11 years now. Um, been in the industry for um, 15, maybe getting close to 20. Uh, and so I started as a registered dietitian and kind of moved up into the health coaching world and, and became a manager and, and really loved that proactiveness of, of corporate wellness and being able to touch a lot of lives. And so um, the creativity aspect of product really was intriguing. So kind of worked my way into product development so I could work on creating some new solutions that would help improve people's health. Excellent. Well, today we're going to talk a little about wellness incentives, and I would love to talk a little about your thoughts on outcome-based incentives and participation-based incentives. But before that, just how do you define the difference between those two? Sure. Great question. Uh, participatory-based incentives are historically what we've known in our space and what we've done. So we award people on doing certain activities like um, completing a health assessment or using a tracker to track their, their weight or participating in a, a corporate challenge. And so those are activities that are kind of um, easy to do across the population and attainable. Um, outcomes-based is something a little newer in our space where it can tie to um, achievement of a health outcome. So where you are a BMI or a body mass index of 27, and if you can get to 25 over the course of the year, you might earn an incentive. Um, so it's either moving into a healthy range for something like BMI or um, uh, blood pressure, or you could just make a small improvement. So you could lose five pounds and then you've met that, that goal because you've improved that metric. So that's more uh, in the outcomes-based realm of incentives. How do you define the difference between participation and engagement? I would say participation is you know, actively, <laughs> to be re- a little redundant, uh, participating or taking a part in an activity. And you could be excited about it. You might not be excited about it. You could be doing it for an incentive. You might not be doing it for incentive. Um, but that then can lead to some form of engagement because you're engaged in that activity at different levels. Um, so you start by participating, and then the more um, you know, you participate, the more you learn, potentially the more engaged you may become in that activity. So on the surface, it... There seems to be, it seems it might be the same thing, but when you zoom in a lot more, there's a big difference. Yeah, I say that's fair. I say sometimes in this industry, I see that that term's used interchangeably, um, and it's just how this industry, the wellness space, has kind of evolved, where um, there is no standard definition of engagement, so a lot of times participation metrics equal engagement, Um, but I think it continues to evolve on a daily basis. When you start having that conversation about incentives with health plans, 
from your experience, how does that conversation normally go? So incentives is, um, gosh, it's been embedded in wellness programs for years, almost since the initiation of wellness programs. Whether it's a mug, uh, you got a branded mug or a T-shirt, you know, after some sort of on-site challenge. And so the conversation has been around a while. I think it's evolved over the years as well to be um, a little more fun, like the the mug and the T-shirt too, a little more serious, like there's a lot of money involved. Um, so it, you know, that conversation is a delicate one. Um, it revolves around um, that, that client's budget a lot of times um, because, and if you've been um, keeping up with the news, there's a lot of money being shelled out for incentives. And so... I think over the last couple of years, it's gone from $300 a person per year um, to $600. So when you start having that conversation with the the client, it gets serious fast because there's a lot of money involved. And if they're contributing that much money, um, they want to see that participation or engagement <laughs> um, and the, the results that come thereafter. When you use that phrase, shelling out a lot of money, I, I, I can see what you're saying because it can add up really quickly. So how do you respond to someone who may have the perception that incentives, they're just paying someone to participate? That is a really good question. Um, I think that it is, uh, again, incentives have been embedded in our world for a while now, and they're, it's gone deeper and deeper over the years. And so I guess you would say, goes hand in hand. If you think um, an employee or an employer of your wellness program, you know that you have to do these activities and there's probably some sort of incentive. If we want to look at extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation and is is that money or that incentive really going to drive that long lasting behavior? I think that it's a paradigm shift to kind of change that mentality and really focus on ways you can focus on that intrinsic motivation for the individual. And I think there's a balance there with incentives, with, with these dollars, with this you know money that people are, are putting towards that, but also looking at, at it a little bit differently and at ways you can, in conjunction with that, work on your culture, work on helping people build the tools to really hone in on that intrinsic motivation to help create that long-lasting behavior change. So in this conversation around extrinsic versus intrinsic what do you think about this if someone really if they really want to change why do they need to be incentivized well sometimes it's it's a start (laughs) so again not everyone's everyone's different Um, and so some people are just going to be intrinsically motivated to get up every day and exercise and eat the apple for a snack versus the snickers bar and you know, take four minutes to do some deep breathing and they don't need an incentive. Um, but it's also nice to um, reward people for being healthy. Um, and so rewards, if they're done carefully and correctly, and you really know your population can complement people that are both intrinsically and maybe not so intrinsically motivated. I like that. So it's that first step. It's just to help someone moving along on that, on that journey. So once so when you think about that journey, how do you see someone going from an extrinsic reward to eventually becoming maybe more intrinsically motivated? So I think that with a well-designed incentive program that really takes into account the company's culture, the client's culture, 
takes into account the goals of the organization, but gets them the employees' feedback on what they want, what their desires are with regards to well-being. That couple coupling all of those goals into that program strategy, marrying up your incentive strategy to kind of use that as the impetus, but then to drive those those other um, you know program components like um, you know on-site challenges or um, things that the employees and the employer might be interested in can work work in parallel to kind of get people from just that get your foot in the door that that you know five dollars as an extrinsic motivator to becoming intrinsically motivated. Right, and it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It's hard work, <laughs> for sure. Yes, um, behavior change is is delicate. It's tricky, and I think that um, takes a takes a lot of thought and effort to really move move the needle. Like you said just a just a few moments ago, everyone's different, and that I think is a great transition to talk about. You know, every every health plan is different, and people have different needs, and so I'd love to transition a little bit into this as a conversation. So, does earning incentives translate into better health for individuals? How do you approach that? That's a tricky. That's a tricky question. Right, it's a tricky right. question. <laughs> I think it's very correlative at this point. I think that. Um, with the right program goals and the right engagement tactics and the right communication plan with coupled coupled with incentives that the combination of all those things can lead to participation which then can lead to engagement which then can lead to outcomes i think our our data over the years shows that if done correctly, that all can happen. So I wouldn't necessarily tie the incentives directly to that health outcome, but it's a combination of things, including incentives, that can help produce outcomes. When you talk a little about that that data, are there any things that kind of come to mind in the moment of just how it, just that, that chain reaction of this, there's a correlation to that, there's a correlation to this, anything that comes to mind? I think that... Um, the incentive drives that initial participation, especially for the people that aren't intrinsically motivated. And so that, again, is kind of the spearheads the then, okay, I'm doing some things. I may earn a little more. I may start liking some of these things because actually you did listen to me and you did create a program that as I as an employee wanted. Um, and so then I become engaged more. Uh, maybe I develop a social network at work because other people are engaged. Um, and then that leads to uh, I lost five pounds or I'm walking every day. Um, so which drives those health outcomes and those cost savings. Wellbeing Experts is supported by OnLife Health. OnLife Health is a comprehensive wellness provider serving health plans and large employers nationwide. With over 10 million members and 20 years of industry experience, OnLife takes a high-touch, high-tech approach to wellness that creates real results for your population. Find out more at onlifehealth.com. Are incentive plans hard or easy to communicate to members? Are they hard for companies to decide on? Like, How does that relationship look? It, it can be easy, um, but it oftentimes is, is difficult. Um, I think that communication is core to program success, whether you're talking about um, incentives or any other piece of the program. Um, and I think that's pretty well known in our industry. Um, the, you know, sometimes the, the opportunity um, when working with large customers that may have multiple divisions underneath or multiple companies, say it's a health plan, um, working on a, an engagement 
uh, incentive strategy that works well for everyone underneath and then being able to communicate that to those groups and then those members within those groups. It's kind of like the telephone game. Um, where if it's not really well thought out and you have different modalities for communication, different messaging based on who you're talking to, um, it kind of, some things can get lost in translation. And so, you know, if the incentive design isn't clearly communicated, it can lead to frustration. And that's frustration primarily from the the boots on the ground. Yep. All the but but because of that though, that goes all the way back to the top. Yep. Because if they're not happy, mm-hmm. right. Right. It's a cyclical thing, right? So it's really important to get that that communication correct. Um, and with incentives, a lot of times it's participation-based. It could be outcomes-based. Um, there's multiple activities um, that can play a part. Um, there's different dollar amounts, or you could have HSA contributions. There's just all different things um, that go into it. So it's com- it can be complicated. And so making sure people know what's available to them and what they could be earning and why it's valuable, um, it's sometimes hard to convey that message. When you talk a little about communication being key, do you find that, or how much conversation and communication takes should take place maybe in the planning of the incentive plan between those who will be receiving the incentives? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Does that surprise people ever? Um, what? That, hey, like we, we know what you'll want, and so we're just here's your options. Is that, does that get skipped over frequently? The, the you know, boots on the ground right. people? Well, that's why it's really important to understand that before you get into the design. Um, you survey your populations. You have wellness champions. You have focus groups. So you really get every level of that organization's input. And so it should be a nice surprise versus a, what is this? I don't think any of us want this. Um, and so that should then complement the goals as well as um, what the what the employees want, what the whole organization wants. Now, this is probably easier said than done. And I think you kind of what you're, what you're saying makes sense of this. Why do you think why is determining the right incentive structure for an organization so complicated, in your opinion? Um, multiple reasons. I think that um, it's not maybe complicated. It's just maybe it takes a little due diligence and it takes a lot of work to understand, like I I've, was saying, the organizational culture, what your employees want out of this wellness program, tying up those goals to a, an incentive structure that, that works well for your budget, that aligns with your goals, um, that's easy to communicate. So, you know, there's that that soft spot of you don't want 20 different activities for someone to do because it's really gets hard to communicate what those are, how to, how to do it, how to, you know, so you want to make sure you, you have a refined, um, comprehensive, uh, incentive program, um, that aligns with everyone's goals, aligns with your budget, is easy to communicate. So that's where it kind of just gets, I again, I wouldn't say complicated, but just, um, a process. When you think back to seeing some of these incentive structures be organized, are there any examples or case studies that come to mind that ones have worked really well compared to the ones that have failed miserably? And maybe maybe why there's that difference between the two? I've thought about that before, and I can't think of an instance where it was just dreadful and it failed miserably, or it was just so fantastic and we want to try and model this around for other 
clients because, again, everyone's so unique, individual and organization. Um, and so what works well is if the incentive structure um, has a nice balance of activities that are participation-based that anyone can do. It's a nice balance of frequency. So some things you do daily that revolve around wellness, some things you do a couple of times a year. Maybe you go see your PCP or you get a biometric screening. Um, some things like using an activity tracker to track 5,000 steps. We want to get people to do that daily. So if there's a few activities um, that kind of span a lot of different interests, a lot of different modalities and frequencies, those seem to work the best. And then, of course, um, the monetary reward or that true incentive all de- is contingent on the, the budget um, right. of the client. Huh. Hmm? Now I'm curious to hear about your thoughts on outcome-based incentives versus or compared to participation-based incentives. Uh, outcomes-based incentives has been it's been around for a couple of years now. It was a hot topic, gosh, um, 2013, 14, just starting to come, um, you know, become part of some some uh, incentive programs, and uh, we have had experience with outcomes-based, and um, we think that the combination of of outcomes-based activities with participatory activities has worked for some of our groups. Um, I think that we need more data um, across the industry, not just us, to see if it's truly moving the needle and, and outcomes-based is truly making um, you know, the changes that we, we desire of it. I think that it comes across negatively if it's not communicated well. So as we talked about, it's really important to communicate the incentive structure. But then when you have to, on top of that, uh, it's somewhat perceived as a negative message that you have to achieve this weight loss goal to earn this incentive. Even if there's all these other activities they can do, it's really hard um, for some segments of our population not to just focus on that. And so I think with outcomes-based, you've seen a little bit of a negative reaction from employees. Um, and we're starting to see a little bit of a decline in our industry of, of those um, employers that want to incorporate outcomes-based. I think it, it could work. Um, I think we need more data to kind of support the, the benefit of that, that solution. Something you talked about earlier, it's about those you know, one step at a time. And that might, if I'm, what I'm hearing from you is if, if that is the only thing you're looking at and thinking about, if you lose as much weight, you get this, that can seem a little intimidating and a little scary. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a lot of different ways you can you can slice and dice outcomes based. Of course, you have to have your appeals option and your alternate means. So people have, if they can't achieve that goal, they have other ways to do it or they can appeal it. So that's all part of, of it. And you can have, you just have a, a slight improvement and we can give you, um, you know, your incentive or, um, you know, but it's still, it's perceived a little bit negatively still. So no matter how you, you slice and dice it. So I've noticed in the news that annual employee incentive amounts are increasing year over year. I know we talked a little about this earlier on too. So I'm curious to hear, are there any best practices on how much an employer should budget on incentives? How do you approach that? So we do have, a. we've been in the industry a while, and so we have a lot of great experience to, to go off of and, and build on recommendations. And 
And, you know, as I stated, the, the amount employers are spending continues to increase. Right, right now, I think the average is around $600 a person per year for uh, incentive um, payouts. And what we found in, in our data with the right incentive plan, and of course aligning with the, with the budget, around $500, $550 per year per participant is kind of that sweet spot um, where we see the engagement they were anticipating, that participation and engagement. Um, but anything over that, we really wouldn't see much more uh, return on that investment. So that's what, based on our research and experience, have seen, have seen that. That's the threshold. Mm-hmm. If you start sp- spending more than that, what is that? What is that? I'm just out of curiosity. What does that money, what would that go to, even though it's not really changing much of what you want people to, ch- to have? To have incentives to people to get more money, more, money, more <laughs> yeah. mugs, more, right. more mugs and t-shirts. I mean, that's why I mean there might be a slight increase, but um, it really doesn't move the needle all that much more. So, we found that you should use that money on other program components, right? Versus incentives. Excellent, I like it, and it all comes back to the communication, understanding from boots on the ground what what they really care about, and then making sure you can implement. A program that can help them. That's what they're. That's what they're interested in. Yep. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest an employer really understand what the participants are interested in when it comes to incentives? So going back to to what we've talked about, the in really understanding your employees and every level of your organization, really understanding what they. Um, believe in what their interests are, what they see as part of a wellness program can really guide you in picking the right incentive, which can take many shapes and forms. Uh, For example, there's the traditional, like the old school mug or the t-shirt. But then there's some rewards that um, are charitable. So if you do a team challenge and everyone works together to to get, you know, 100,000 steps for that week, maybe that then the award is a little bit different and you donate a certain amount of money or all your money to a charity. Um, And then there's a typical, uh, you know, HSA deposits. So if you earn your incentive for a quarter, you may get 100 bucks in your HSA, your health savings account. Or you just get cash or a gift card. So there's and there's merchandise catalogs. There's a lot of different ways to to offer incentives. But I think the most important thing is making sure it is the incentive that is most meaningful to your employees. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your expertise. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to do this again soon. Great. Thanks. Thank you to today's guest. And a big thank you to you for listening along with us. Wellbeing Experts is brought to you by OnLife Health, a comprehensive wellness solutions company that has spent years working with health plans and large employers nationwide. Today's podcast and additional perspectives from the Wellbeing Experts can be found at onlifehealth.com resources. We welcome your comments, questions, feedback, all of the above at engage at onlifehealth.com. Thank you.